What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. Now, if that sits good with you, grab a beverage, sit back, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's going on, everyone? So, on today's episode, you know, if you all think back, I don't know when this is going to come out, but if you think back a episode or two, you know, Locke kind of made fun of me during the Overeem episode where he said I was fanboying about all of these Dutch kickboxers. And he was like, you know, you may as well Which you talk were, about- but, but it's okay. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know, you may as well talk about Melvin Manhoof. And guess who just happens to be about to fight? None other than Melvin Manhoof has a fight coming up against Yoel Romero. At Bellator 285, and as you know, I'm not even that big of a fan of Bellator, but I have to watch this one, and this is coming up at the end of September, so we are a little over a month away from this one, but I had to bring this one up for multiple reasons. One, we just talked about Manhoof, but then two, I actually think this is a really good fight, and you know how usually Yoel wants guys that's going to come out and bang with them and they don't? I've never seen Melvin not come out and bang. So before I go into anything, before you say I'm fanboying out, I want to get your take on the fight. <laughs> well, so I was actually surprised because I was expecting you to take a different direction where I know you love the obscure kickboxer guys. But due to the age and, you know, your your obsession with people with CTE and people growing to live healthy lives, I thought, yes. you know, two older gentlemen, I mean, I believe they're 45 and 46. So I thought that this was going to be something that you were against. And, yes. you know, when I first heard the fight originally, I was like, oh, that's a little bit interesting. But once you hit me with it and I knew we were going to talk about this today, I looked into it a little bit more and I really am pretty excited about this fight. And, and I'm not a huge Bellator fan, but I I like this fight. I'm excited for it. Yeah. So everything you said is true. And under normal circumstances, I agree with everything you said, but every now and then there's a fight. Kind of like the Overeem Batahari fight, where it's like, wow, I really want to see that fight. And I think when it's um, when it's two guys of similar age and everything like that, it's a little bit different unless they're really, you know, far gone. So, for example, of course, I didn't want to see, as we talked about, I didn't want to see Chuck come back and fight. That was terrible. I didn't want to see when Hoist came back to fight. That was terrible. Like some of these things are like, no, right? But, um, you know, Melvin Manhoof and Yoel, of course, both of them are past their prime. But to your point, you know, they're only like a a year different in age. I think Melvin has taken a lot more damage, right? But just the matchup and everything else with this fight makes me excited. And it's not one of those where you take the old guy and throw him to the young up-and-coming hungry lion, right? These are both guys that, you know, Melvin probably should have retired already, you know, but he's still a very, very dangerous guy. And, you know, Yoel, you know, only because he hasn't taken a lot of damage, but, you know, he, 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 he doesn't have a lot of time left. And, you know, even if you look at, his record, you know, of course, as we know, he took those losses coming out of the UFC. But for the most part, it wasn't like he really got beat up, right? Um, got a couple split decision losses in there. And then his last um, fight was a win. So it's like, yeah, he's 
old, but it's a different kind of old dude. Melvin, I worry about, but the fight itself, I'm just so excited about it because I want to see what's going to happen when somebody truly does put the pressure on Yoel, which most people don't go out there and do. Even when they say they are going to, they just don't go out there and do it, right? So that's what excites me about this one. So one of the things, what I got to lead with, I'm not sure that we can get on the same page that Yoel Romero has passed his prime because to say that he's passed his prime is to assume that he's actually a human being. And I'm not entirely (laughs) sure that that's true. I'm not, I think he might just be some like an alien species that strongly resembles humans that for some reason doesn't age regularly and they just stay in peak physical condition for decades longer than they should because For a person, look, he was in UFC under USADA for a long time and still looked like a fucking action figure. That is true. If he was a guy that chose to stay in Japan or something like that for a long time, you know, I might have been a little bit more critical, but he spent a long time under the USADA banner. And we've seen people over him that when USADA comes (laughs) in, all of a sudden that the stature changes a little bit. That didn't happen with Romero. So. I'm just saying, I'm not entirely convinced that he's like a regular human that is growing and aging the way we are because his body doesn't tell that. But like you said, either way, even as a guy who's been fighting for a long time, not a ton of wars. And even the ones he did have, you know, the fights with Robert Whitaker were were yeah. kind of bangers. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, he's a little while out for those. And he's also a guy that fights, doesn't fight very often. Yeah, uh-huh. and so I think ahead. that helps. Yeah, I agree. And no, what what you said, I, I totally agree with. And um, it, it's funny because everybody still says he's on something. But the reason why your point was so valid to me is because even people that didn't quote unquote get caught, we saw a lot of people physically change, even if it was temporarily. Until they found the next thing that was not being tested for, right? Like T.J. Dillashaw, right? Uh, so, uh, but to your point, he, he he never changed. You know, he's really, truly a freak of nature out there. And I mean, at 45 years old, listen, there's a lot of people that would love to look at like him at 25 years old let alone 45. So I don't know well, what's in the water, but I need And I'm looking at a picture some. of him younger, mm-hmm. and I don't know that he was more ripped. Like, he <laughs> might be more Jack now. He's he's the rock. He is the rock. He, he might be more jacked, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't in his prime back then. That is correct. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm yeah. with you. Um, I do think he is definitely... You know, in one of these categories, a Randy Couture, you know, there's some of these mm-hmm. guys that have just aged and been able to compete at a high level. And that's just always amazing to me because we see guys in MMA that stay in the sport a long time, right. but not at this highest, highest of levels, you know? Yeah. Uh, but one of the other things I wanted to talk about, and I did I did some research. Yes, I did research this week. All right. I there actually you said, go. you know what? I should put a little <laughs> effort into this for DC. <laughs> um. Instead of hitting the garage, showing up with a couple beers and talking shit, I'm going to make sure I do some legit <laughs> research this time. And when you're talking about, like, man who, you know, you're a little bit more worried about him. And he is definitely, you know, fought a lot longer, had a lot more fights, been in a lot more wars. But I actually really, really like what he's doing with his career and that's one of the things that made me not think oh this is an old man fight or this is sad because if you look last time he fought was 2020 2019 he fought twice he took 2018 off uh two fights in 2017 one mma one kickboxing and and he's been you know fairly successful over the last couple years and i think that that, you know, pacing yourself as you get older might have something to do with it because he's a guy, if you look, he has a lot of years where he's got three or four fights plus another one or two kickboxing matches in one year. 
that's a lot. But yeah, over the last five years, which is when you're 46 years old, that's a critical part of, you know, of your training camp is factoring this stuff in. And what that tells me is that he's still doing this for some version of the right reasons, because if it was just about money, there wouldn't be the time off and the spacing yourself out. So I really think he's still in this to compete at a high level. Yeah, no, I definitely would agree with you. Um, he definitely has made some changes through the years. Um, and I'm, I, I have no idea what his financial situation is. Um, but I do know that um, it he's been in so many different promotions. He's kind of fought everywhere. Right. Um, but that allowed him. And this is one of the things I said before that I do like about kickboxing. A lot of times guys are not locked into these completely one sided contracts like, let's say, what a UFC would do. So it gives you the flexibility to go and take the time off needed when you do need time off and then go pick up a fight somewhere. Right. Whereas we know with the UFC, if you're like, well, you know, I really want to take a year off or something. When you are ready to fight, they may not give you a fight or they give you the worst possible matchup for you coming back out of spite, right? There's a lot of things that they do that, in my opinion, really hurts fighters or that they do that really helps fighters that they really like. So, um, you know, I think one of the good things about him fighting in different promotions and having that kickboxing is that it does allow him to take the breaks when needed. Um, you know, he has multiple ways, multiple areas to make money. And, um, I think he can pick up a lot of different fights and he still fights at a few different, uh, weight classes. You know, he's not a big guy, but, you know, in my opinion, he's one of those guys. I think if he had come along, maybe started his career, eh, I'm trying to think of what year, but definitely after, well after when he started, right? Um, Because I think with his size and everything, he's still of that old school size age. He's of that old school. It's pack on a bunch of muscle. Everybody's a heavyweight or a light heavyweight, right? And, you know, at 5'8", even though he's a, you know, stocky, solid guy, I think he could have did a lot of damage as a 170-pound fighter especially with his style of Dutch kickboxing. I think he could have did great once kickboxing kind of transitioned into more of those weight classes, but also in MMA. And, you know, you often still see him fight at, you know, 205 or whatever. Um, So I think a lot of those things um, help. But going back to something that I don't know a lot about, but you hear people talk a lot about, he also never drained himself. Right. So I think that may help, even though he's had quite a few knockouts. Um, It's funny. I posted a clip today in our our fight group and it it was a clip of Frank Mir talking about, uh, you know, breaking Nogueira and um, and Tim Sylvia's arm. Right. And just so people know, in case you haven't seen the clip, it's not like he's bragging or anything like that. It's not one of those clips, but which. Mm-hmm. Which it sounds like I was. I kind yes. of wanted to point that out. You made it. It sounds a lot worse than it is. Yes. Just him sitting around, yes. talk, especially when you you fire it up and he starts off smoking a big ass stogie. Yeah, you know, he's got a yeah. fat ass cigar yeah, exactly. and shit. Like yeah. he's not being super classless. Just talking about all these arms he snapped. Exactly. But you look at the amount of damage he's taken, the amount of knockouts he said. If you remember, I said the same thing about Overeem, right? But the guy still is sharp and talks really clear. It's amazing. It's not too many smaller guys that you see that takes that kind of damage that can talk with that level of like fluency and, you know, no stutter and no anything. And I think part of that does come from the bigger guys just not cutting that weight. You know, they come in at the size that they come in at. You may have to cut a little bit if you're over that 265, but for the most part, I think it makes a difference. And Melvin Manuf not being a guy that cut weight, really, I think helped him. Well, and I kind of glanced through his record as you're talking. So not as he only competed at light heavyweight quite a bit, at the high le- highest level too, and in light heavyweight tournaments, and has competed mm-hmm. at heavyweight at yes. 5'8". Yep. He, has, he knocked out 
Mark Hunt. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. I think that was in K1 promotion. I think that's where it was at, but yeah. It was uh, uh, Fields Dynamite, 2008. Oh, Dynamite. Okay, yeah. You know, Dynamite was like, well, you know how Japan goes. It was one of those derivatives of a derivative of a promotion. (laughs) But um, yeah, and I I just call them all not pride. (laughs) <laughs> and that was a that was a um I want to say that was just before um he had come over to the UFC if I'm not mistaken so you know we're not talking about a um a washed up uh shoot what is his name you just said it um over I forgot that quick no no the, who he, who he, hunt Hunt, We're not yeah. talking about a washed up hunt. This was a, a pretty prime hunt. I want to say that fight was like right before Hunt came over to the UFC. Um, but it was a pretty prime hunt. This was a back in the day knocking everybody out, one punch walk off Mark Hunt, right? This wasn't the Mark Hunt that, you know, kept getting punished by guys on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> And hated it. He hated it so much. He did. He did. But um but yeah, the um the big thing though on this one was I'm excited to see this fight. I hope it's a really good fight. Um definitely just based on as you said what I usually talk about, I hope, you know, I hope both guys come out of this fight really safe, especially uh Manhoff. But um I'm really excited to see this fight and and I'm not a big Bellator watcher, but I will be watching this event specifically for this fight. So before we, before you switch it up, I want to make mm-hmm. sure, cause I wanted yes. to get this out there because a lot, like we talked about how he hasn't fought that much lately. So a lot, if you have any listeners that are newer to MMA, they might not know the name. Melvin Melvin Manhoof and I would say even though it's a loss go watch the Robbie Lawler fight where he was literally kicking his leg like out the building before Robbie Lawler landed a shot but I found a stat double checked it to verify 29 of his 32 wins have came by knockout yeah so that's the highest knockout percentage of any MMA fighter with over 15 wins I can believe it. He's an animal. I mean, he goes out there to take it to the guys. There's there's almost nobody that fights like him. I would say the closest guy back in the day would have been Vanderlei Silva, but I think he's much more skilled than Vanderlei Silva. But that type of attitude, that type of relentless attack, that's the person I could think of. I don't know if people really understand how much of a monster soccer kick pride Vanderlei Silva was he was an absolute monster but I think Melvin's a lot more skilled and yeah I still want to do a um I still want to do like a fallen goat type series on Melvin that's one of the reasons why I didn't go into it this much on this Uh, one and I kind of mentioned that on the um kind of mentioned that on the Overeem episode because I just think there's so much to talk about with him, both in his kickboxing and boxing career and what he's done. Um, it's almost nobody that you're going to be able to compare that type of career to. Um, I think it has to be said. Yeah. So, um, but, um, but to your point, yeah, it's a lot of people that's not going to know him. And I'll just say this. He's not, he's never in a boring fight. Pick a fight, go watch it. Kickboxing or MMA is going to be exciting. It's never happened. And and I know we say that about, you can say that about, you know, the Diaz brothers. And there's a lot of guys like that. And it's all true. But Melvin, he does it with a vicious intentions. You know, he's, he's a violent yes. guy. Yes, all violence. So... My my Any- MMA all violence team. He is on there. <laughs> Anything else before we wrap that one up? Because I have something I want to talk about, and I have a very definite opinion about it. And the people may not like my opinion. All right, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so this past weekend we had the event um, 
uh, Hill versus uh, Santos. And on the opening fight, uh, by the way, for anybody that didn't watch that card, that was probably the first card I remember seeing where there was not one decision. I think they've said it's only happened in the UFC, I think three times or whatever, but not one decision, really good card. But very good card. And it's one of those we've talked about it before, but sometimes what we think is a stacked card, the guys are too good. It becomes too much of a chess match. And look, you know, it's still a good fight, but it's not as fun to watch sometimes. And the Santos Hill card is one of the best cards I've watched in a long time. I literally had a hard time. I couldn't pull like get up and leave to watch it when I was sitting down because I really just wanted to check out a couple fights. Yeah, no, I would agree. But now on the opening, the opening fight was Stephanie Ager versus Myra Bueno Silva. And in that fight, it wasn't a long fight. It was a short fight. In that fight, Bueno Silva got Ager in a pretty deep arm bar. Mm-hmm. And everything looked perfect. The elbow, you know, was, you know, was up past the hip area she her other arm was pinned it it, i didn't see a way of her getting out of that Mm -hmm. and then bueno silva let go the ref is like right there he's watching she lets go and basically says you know something edgar starts to get up and then when she gets up and turn the ref is talking to her he's basically asking did you tap she doesn't say anything. He's looking at her like, did you tap? She says nothing. So it's like a real weird period in the fight. And Bueno Silva was like, you know, watch the tape. Look at the tape. Look at the tape or something she was saying. Um, now, of course, let me let me preface by saying this. Both women are non-native English speakers, right? That, that but, was one thing I wanted to make yeah. sure. This is a very Tower of Babel situation yes. we have going yes. on. Yes. So Bueno Silva is uh, from Brazil, and I believe Edgar is from Switzerland. I think it is. I think she's Swiss. Um, so they go over, and the uh, ref ends up going to each of the judges, each one of the judges in ringside. It says, hey, what did you see? Da, da. And then one of the judges that seemed to be best positioned said they clearly saw a tap. Every angle of the camera, not one camera angle was behind them where the tap would have had to occur. So now, I wanted to lay that out, that part without bias, because now I'm going into the part that people may feel like I'm a little biased on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So... (laughs) I understand the language barrier, but I also understand body language and fighting. Both of these women are professionals. Both of them have had many fights. I think uh, 10 and 12 fights apiece or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So body language and the language of the fight says something. It's the reason why, even though all of these different groups of people from ever don't speak the same language, these rules are universal. When when Bueno Silva first let her arm go, if she thought it was nothing wrong, because the ref hadn't said anything yet, she would have done something or made some type of move or hit or something before she even saw the ref because her head was tucked back, right? She wasn't looking at the ref. She wasn't looking at San, uh, Bueno San Silva. She Once she got her arm out, she moved it out really slow and slowly got up. To me, that said, I definitely tapped and I know what's going on. But for some reason now, I'm going to pretend like I'm not going to tap. And one of the reasons why this upsets me, a lot of times Brazilians get a bad rep for holding submissions too long. But one of the reasons is because you have these people that clearly get caught in these submissions And they'll use excuses or somebody not seeing it to say, I didn't tap. So now when this Brazilian holds on to it, 
and break it because the ref didn't tell him to stop yet. Now it's, oh, you know, they hold on too long. Why don't they let go? So in my opinion, based on what I saw with the language, the fight language, the body language, everything like that, Edgar was clearly in the wrong and she's going to come across the next person that's going to get her in a deep submission like that and they're going to break something. So now that I've given my opinion on it, <laughs> I want to go ahead and toss it over to you. And we haven't talked about this yet, of course, so I have no idea what your opinion about it is. Well, my opinion is that Stephanie Eggers didn't come up swinging like a person that thought they escaped an arm bar and is going to get somebody's <laughs> arm broke. So thanks for stealing my opinion. Well, but you no. got to think, though. Yours was like 30 seconds long and mine was like five minutes long. So they're very different. <laughs> <laughs> very different. Yours is the long story long version. <laughs> I gave you the <laughs> short and sweet version of it. But no, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, you know, that's one of the things about combat is once you know the rule set, the rule set can be explained to you in your native language so that you understand it fully. And then the communication is easy. You know, it's a combat sport. We all understand what's going on. And yes, um, you know, BJ Penn's book, The Book of Knowledge, he says in that the the Matt Hughes fight where Matt Hughes won, where he had him in the crucifix and was still punching him in the face, and mm -hmm. he had a broken rib. Mm -hmm. When the ref broke it up, BJ still thought he got out because he never tapped. He said, I thought I escaped, uh -huh. and for a second I thought, oh, maybe I got out, and then realized he lost a fight. That would have been Edgar's thoughts is, yep, if she hadn't tapped, she would have thought, bam, I got out. You know, and it would have been, that's when you scramble, right? Is escaping yep. from a sub. Mm -hmm. That's not the way a person that would react in that situation. Um, so I agree. Uh, her body, and I, I've seen the camera angles that are available. You can't see it either way. But, you know, like, uh, like Myra said, uh, God knows. You know, so <laughs> so just remember that, Stephanie Edgar, the fat boy MMA yeah. and God, we all know, man. No, yeah. And I but think, I, you, go ahead. I, but I do think, I think that's the problem with that. And it, it also, again, kind of comes back to the Frank Mir video that you were talking about earlier. He mentioned at one point, he said he knew Noguera wasn't going to tap. So he was trying to do what he had to do to win the fight, which is what your job is. You go yeah. until someone taps it. But Stephanie Edgar is going to get somebody's arm broke or whatever broke pretty bad because it, it's not just relevant to her or the opponent. Everybody's seen that and nobody wants to be in that situation. So that's that's just one of these things. And that's going to be industry wide. For the next year or two, that's going to be front of mind. Every time somebody has a good submission in, they're going to think, you know, maybe I should yank on it. When I was younger, if the guy that I liked had a deep arm bar and the guy didn't tap, the first thing that I was always say is just break it. Yeah. And, and, and you make a good point. So one, I'm going to go back to what you said about uh, the rules being explained in the person's language and everything like that. But there are things that's universal that you understand from fighting, right? So, for example, um, when you, when Americans fought over in pride, there are certain words, phrases, or whatever. You don't have to know Japanese. You know these exact phrases and what they mean. No different than, you know, here in America, if they say let's go or whatever else, you know what that means. Tap, you know what that means in English. Even if you don't know the English language, you know these things. So to say that there's no language a, barrier on an Olympic wrestling mat. Exactly. So we all know for, what the deal is. Right. And so I guess her her camp and everybody's trying to argue and say that the issue was a language barrier and whatnot. It's just not. Yeah, if they were having a full conversation. Yeah, I would agree. But 
<laughs> you know, you you know what what tap is. No different than if I went to another sport over in wherever, what whatever language, you're gonna know these specific words because they are important to the sport. You know? Well, okay. You don't speak French. You know what touche means? Absolutely. Yeah. It's or one on of my guard. favorite words. You know what I'm saying? Some yep. things it's exactly. universal. Yep. I mano agree. y mano. <laughs> I agree. So now that that's over, um, you know, one, I, I, I do like that uh Bueno Silva was a class act. Um if I was her, unfortunately, to your point, I wouldn't do it again in the future, even if it's not, you know, Stephanie Ager. You just can't risk that, especially with the way that the UFC works. Um, you know, had something changed in that fight. They let that fight go on and she loses that fight. All of a sudden, uh, you know, you take that fight and make it a loss. Then she had a win before that, a loss before that, and a draw. Her record looks very different. She might be at risk and cut by the UFC all because somebody, you know, lied about a submission. So, yeah, I'm not letting go. (laughs) One thing in Stephanie Edgar's defense. I will give her the benefit of the doubt in, I'll give her the Tito defense. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey. I love that <laughs> phrase, except when it's against one of my people. Right. <laughs> you know, it's funny, the, the funniest thing was on the Ultimate Fighter, that was when, um, uh, what was the little the little dude that uh, beat TJ Dillashaw? Um, oh, what is his name? Uh, he was Jackson Winklejohn, real, real little dude, super fast. Um, he was on the ultimate fighter. Dotson. Dotson. Yeah. That was what he said that on the ultimate fighter, something he did. He was like, well, you know what they say? If you ain't, you ain't trying. (laughs) That is hilarious. But me and my daughter both got kicked out of a softball game that I was coaching her in when she got thrown out at first base. Uh-huh. And then ran by and knocked the ball out of the first baseman's glove. And you didn't see a thing, did you? No, I actually told them. And I was right, though, also. I okay. corrected the ref on the call that he made. She was out, but she uh-huh. wasn't out of the game. And then now all of a sudden, I'm out of the game, too. But but the point was, when me and my daughter are now in the parking lot, because we're not allowed back near the field. Yes. I told her, hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I wasn't mad. We're not going to keep playing like that. It's a lesson learned. But, you know, I get it. Small cheats. Not big cheats. Just small cheats, you know. But uh, on that card, the main event um, was Jamal Hill versus Tiago Santos. And I had to. Yeah. And I had to talk about Jamal Hill. One of the biggest reasons is because he is representing the good old Michigan. He's from up in Grand Rapids, which uh, has some really nice breweries that we may have traveled to. Uh, but um, I've, some of the I've best really, in the fucking world. I agree. I have been really, really impressed with him, and this fight impressed me. I know Santos right now doesn't have the best record. I think he's kind of a product of, you know, what we talked about before, the guys that have a really close fight against John Jones. And then after that, you know, things go awry. But he went through quite a few surgeries and everything like that. Matter of fact, I think he blew his knee out in that particular fight. But uh, he's still a very dangerous guy, very hard puncher, very game fighter. It's not like he's going out there and he just looks like shit now. He still looks really good. He's just been on the other side of some losses, but Jamal Hill looked really good in that fight. So I wanted to get your opinion on just what you thought about. Uh, You can talk about the fight in general, but mainly I wanted to highlight the Michigan fighter, Jamal Hill taking that victory. So I'm a Jamal Hill fan because, because Michigan, of course, um, but I also like the way he fights, you know, and he, uh, uh, you know, he, every fight we talked about exciting fights, 
And he's got some some decent wins for a young up and coming guy. You got OSP by knockout, Johnny Walker by knockout. Yeah, that doesn't get you a title shot. I'm not saying that, but it's an impressive way up, you know, especially early on in your career. And I thought Thiago, Thiago Santos looked pretty good, and I thought this could be a problem fight for him because the UFC is in a good situation either way. You know, if Thiago wins this fight, that's a big win for him. You know, they can kind of sell sell him on the way back up. And he looked good. And he he really did well with the grappling. But I think it provided some valuable cage time for Jamal Hill that he really, really needed. So I think not only was it a fun fight, and I'm glad Jamal Hill won impressively, but I think that that's a very, very important fight for his career. Like, I think he needed that. It was it was in the yeah. fourth round. That's a long fight. That's into the championship rounds. That's valuable right. experience. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. Uh, and I think he... Um... I saw a lot of adversity. This fight wasn't, I know um, Jamal Hill was like a, um, I forget, um, he was the favorite, but I forget how big he was the favorite by, but um, I didn't look at this as a gimme fight for him. Um, I looked at this as a very tough fight for him. I think Santos is tough for anybody at that weight class. And as I said, even his losses, it's not like he's just been getting knocked out left and right or anything like that. You know, he, he he's had some split losses in there and, you know, some decision losses. And um, this is his first, you know, time being stopped of recent. Um, and, you know, I think he'll overcame some different adversities in that fight. Um, Santos had threw some really good leg kicks. Hill came in, even switched up his style some. He had a little bit more of a karate style. You know, he was showing some he was showing he could really change and mix things up and do something different. And I really like that. Um, he made, they made some game time changes that I like. Uh, but overall to your point, I like the progression. I do like the names of the people that he's been beating um, because they were a lot of the, um, at one point their names was the up and coming young guy in that weight class. And so part of marching toward that title picture or whatever is beating some of those names. And then you can call out the bigger name and so on and so forth. Um, and so I really like that. Um, I really like the way that that ended, how he overcame adversity, even having the swole eye and everything like that to, you know, really come out on the other side of that. But overall he impressed me and, I think there was a lot of things that can be taken out of this fight for him and his camp to tweak for fighting another Santos type of guy, because there were some areas of improvement and some things that I think they learned, you know, whether it was in the ground or with some of those leg kicks, which once again, I think part of the adjustment that they made initially coming in was to be prepared for leg kicks. But even with that, now you have the data to say, okay, we did this to prepare. How well did it do for this versus that? And what can we change? So let me ask you this. What do you think? It was a good win for Jamal Hill. And like I said, you got the the extra rounds. You talked about the, you know, the eye busted up. I think that's valuable. That looks good in your, uh, your package that they put together before the fight. You know what I mean? You need some of those moments to really sell yourself as a next level fighter. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Is he ready for, I mean, as a good, you know, good performance, he's got some good names, like you said, Mm -hmm. but you know, does he keep, keep climbing? You give him, what do you think? I give him, I give him somebody big, man, because I just think it's one of those weight classes it's no point in holding him back. You know, he's 12 fights into his career. Now I give him a big name. I give him a top five guy, you know, because I think, I think he's young, he's hungry. And this is one of those divisions. Once again, as we talked about unless your name is John Jones, people are going to keep jockeying these, you know, these titles or whatever else. And I don't think any of the guys at the top, or at a level where they really separate themselves from the pack. 
And I think even if he loses to one of those guys, I don't think it hurts his career that much at this stage of his career. And I think it's a lot that he can take back from it. Um, he mentioned somebody. I don't remember if he called out Jan or he called out somebody or mentioned somebody in his post fight. Um, as soon but, as you started talking about it, I I was really disappointed. I forgot who he called out. Yeah, it would. But he definitely mentioned somebody. But you know, I'm all for it. If it's not his next fight, I think the fight after that, if he wins the next fight, you know, you got to kind of you know bump him up there. And uh, because once again, I look at light heavyweight, it's not as bad as heavyweight, but I look at it like heavyweight. All these guys are dangerous, man. You know, you can keep fighting the bottom of the row at heavyweight, but you're only one punch away from getting knocked out. You know, you may as well go ahead and fight Stipe. <laughs> you know, that's the way I look at it. Nah, give me Stipe, man. Nah, listen, you know, Blades should knock me out just as, as well. Black Beast. Uh, uh, Tui Vasu, like all of these guys will knock you out. Give me, give me one or two, <laughs> you know, at least let me have a big reward and be able to put gold around my waist so I can pull this thing off. What, uh, what do you think of Magomed? Like you could do Hill versus Magomed. Um, good question. I, I like that fight. I like that fight. Um, the only thing about that is, I know both of them are up and coming, but that's one of those fights to me that damn near feels like a a person after that deserves a title shot. And this is the reason why I say that. It reminds me of the old school uh, John Jones versus Ryan Bader, right? When you have these two young guys that's really coming up and doing really well, and they're marching up the ladder and they're beating kind of the, the, the guys that were in their position before. And then you put them at a crossroads. To me, it's like you almost, you're going to destroy, well, one of them not destroy, but you're going to set one of them back enough to where the other one, I think you need to catapult them into a title fight. You know, that, that's just my opinion on how I look at it. Well, so the way I was looking at it is, I feel like they're both young enough. So Hill's eleven and one, Magomed's eighteen and one. I figure whoever wins that fight, you could legit put in a, you know, look at a title shot. And then, because if you look at the top of the rankings, um, I mean, outside of Jan, you know, I think Anthony Smith just is coming off a loss. Uh, I mean. I, I don't think any of those guys, it's a lot of older guys at the top of there that have a decent amount of losses. I don't think a loss in a number one contender fight for either the, you know, Magomed or Jamal Hill sets either of them too far back. I think even the loser is still a big win or two away from a title shot. Because I, I think the top of that division is going to kind of shake itself out pretty soon. Yeah, give me one second. Yeah, so when John Jones and Ryan Bader fought, John Jones was eleven and one, and Ryan Bader was twelve and zero. Right, so that's why I'm saying I feel like his status. Not that the you other said jo guy, Jones was eleven and one then. Yeah, because he so you know was, he had that. So that was seriously Hamlet. like twelve and zero and twelve and zero then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, but you know I'm just calling it for the what the right record. Now, I, is. I got yeah. you, but yeah, that's but, crazy. It's basically the exact same record, exact same. Correct, record. and basically that's what I'm saying about these two. I feel like it's that same crossroads. It didn't derail Ryan Bay. Like his career wasn't over, right? But it definitely was a strong path, and from that. It was clearly, okay, one of these young, hungry lions, we're really going to throw them to the, the wolf, so to speak, and see what they're made of. And that person was, you know, John Jones. So after that fight was the Shogun fight, right? And they didn't, if you remember, it wasn't announced beforehand. It, they didn't say, hey, the winner of this gets a title shot. He found out, if I'm not mistaken, like in the ring or something like that, that he was getting that title shot. But I feel like, when you have these two up-and-coming hungry lions like this that's really kind of taking some of those, once again, and 
I don't want to say older guys because it's not really like that, but those guys that had that potential to be that one, but for whatever slip, when you take those guys out and now you put two young hungry lions like that together, I think you got to catapult the winner. So when I look at, you know, once again, uh, he'll taking out a, a, a Santos, taking out a Walker, uh, you know, uh, uh, OSP and some of these guys. It's not like these guys' careers are over, but it is like a lot of these guys were marked as, hey, this might be the next guy. And then it wasn't, and he's taking them out one by one. So when I look at that, I feel like the winner, one of those guys, if you put those two guys together, one of those guys is going to have a nice jump backwards because you lost to a young enough guy where you need three, four more fights before we can even talk about a title pitcher. I think you catapult the other guy. Well, how about this? I got one more yeah. idea. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> well, we do let's solve do a lot of problems. So there's we a do. possibility that this could be the right answer. Yes. So he's now ranked six, but that was a big win. He just made a big jump. He just shot up four slots. Mm-hmm. Paul Craig is now coming off a loss. And just slid down a spot to 10. Jamal Hill's only loss is to Paul Craig. Right. Maybe it's a good run time to back. run that one back. You know, look, it's still 10 yeah. versus six. I like know? that. And and it's he's at six. Not to say he didn't deserve it, but he just shot up there. So it's not like he's not at that same level. You know what I mean? And you can justify it a little bit more because he's got that win over him. Yeah, I like that fight. Um, yeah, I like that. I'm not. I don't disagree with that fight. Um, it would be interesting, especially to get that win back. Um, my only question though would be, and this is you know me looking at it from not necessarily a purely fan standpoint, but of uh, understanding how the UFC works and getting to that title shot. How much does beating Paul Craig now do for Jamar Hill in being that much closer to the title shot versus Megalmed? Well, I think, well, I just gave you two different options. The one option is mm-hmm. give him Megalmed and make it a title shot. But if you want to let maybe try and give Megalmed the shot first and then still and then still let Jamal Hill stay active, but still kind of lead him on that path. I mean, look, sometimes higher-ranked guys got to take a lower-ranked fight. And if you're going to fight a guy that's ranked lower than you once you get to that top 10, where now we're talking about real potential, the best possible situation is to avenge a loss on it. Yeah, definitely. So so I don't think it's going to shoot him up, but I think he's six now. You put that, that's going to put him somewhere, you know, four or five. You know, now you crack the top five. Now you're one fight away from a championship. Yeah, and I, uh, of course, you know, I understand uh, it's not necessarily an issue of fighting down, so to speak, as much as it is value. Because sometimes you can fight somebody lower ranked than you, but they're still you know, a nice amount of value there based on the trajectory that you're going in. Uh, But yeah, either way, I like it. Um, You know, I think that, um, I think that there's a lot of promising things for him, um, especially once his team, you know, kind of go back to the drum board, like I said, fix a couple of those things, because I do think there are some things that he kind of showed in that fight. Although he overcame all the adversity, I think there are a few things that, some of the better fighters in the division may try to exploit. Um, but yeah, I like, I like either one of those fights. Well, and another thing I think a Craig fight could bring is similar to Santos, gives him some more grappling time on the ring before you get in there against Jan, who, you know, can just straight up fucking wrestle you if you don't want him to, you know? Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's basically Paul Craig tried to pull guard his whole last fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? So, See how yeah. they deal, give him some more ring time grappling, you know, because that's I like Jamal Hill. But if there's one thing that and not saying he's bad at it, he's definitely showing improvements. But mm-hmm. and that's only going to get tougher as you move your way up the division. Yeah, especially if you if you keep knocking guys out, because 
why grapple with? I mean, why, why strike with you, right? I'm going to strike yeah. enough to get in and then take your ass to the ground and maul you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Jamal Hill is not a guy to play the kickbox around game with. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so one more fight on that card that I actually wanted to talk about. Um, and this was another one of those things where it's really I, – I had no intentions on talking about this. I didn't even – when I text you what I wanted to talk about, I didn't even mention this fight or this guy, but um, it really just impressed me so much. I was like, I, I have to talk about it. And that was um, the Jeff Neal Vicente Luque fight. Um, I did not expect that fight to look anything like the way that it looked. I'm one of those people that um, I'm really high on Vicente Luque striking. No, I'm not saying he's the best striker in the UFC or anything like that. But I think his striking is really good. I think it's pretty crisp. I think he do a lot of things right fundamentally. And Jeff Neal really went out there and took it to him. And I must say, I was pretty, I was pretty surprised slash, you know, shocked that he made it look that easy. Actually. Let me say this. He could have got him out of there quicker, mm-hmm. but he fell in love with one punch without understanding that he was actually catching Luke with a simple one-two combination. But because the two is what kept hurting him, he started just throwing the two, which was a mistake. But it's that that's that Mike Tyson. That's that late career Mike Tyson move. Yeah, exactly. But um I wanted to get your opinion on that fight. Um, you know before I go into any too much detail. So what I liked most about this fight, for one, Jeff Neal looked really good and it was really impressive. So I like that. The other thing is I always like when we rain on Dana's parade. And this was definitely (laughs) a fight that was set up to get Vincent Luque back on track. You know, he was on a good run. He come off a loss to Muhammad uh, he's still a top 10 guy. You get him back on that track. You have him up there in the title picture. I think Neil wasn't even ranked in the top 10. And yeah, he re- that was, that's as close as you get to a tune-up fight in MMA. Cause it is yeah. not boxing. You don't do that much. Right. Yeah. I, I Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, that's about as much of a, a, a setup as the UFC is going to give you. Obviously, it's a fight. You never know. But they really tried to give Luke a favorable matchup in this one. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, I must say, like I said, I was shocked. It wasn't it wasn't what I expected. Not just as simple as Jeff Neal winning. It's, it's MMA. There's always a possibility of a win. But he really went out there and took it to Vicente Luque and, in my opinion, beat him in almost every area. And I just didn't expect that at all. Like, I was totally shocked by it and impressed by the performance. And now I'm interested to see, to your point, what they're going to do in this kind of situation. What's what's next for Jeff Neal? What's next for Luque? Um, You know, as we know, this division is a little weird. They do need, in my opinion, a little bit of new blood in there, but I just don't think that Jeff Neal is the guy that they wanted to kind of, you know, pop his head through there and say, hey, yeah, what about me getting in the mix? <laughs> You're muted. That That's my favorite kind of new blood, the kind that you weren't <laughs> expecting, you know? But, uh, yeah, I, I like it, though, and I think – I think the division definitely needs it. And I think his win, when you look at like one of his only losses is to Kevin Holland, who is now a real up and coming guy. And uh, I think some of these guys starting to pull off these big wins is really starting to give the Dana White's contender series a lot of credibility. Yeah. As far as building guys. And honestly, I think it's a, it seems like it's an even better path than the ultimate fighter. Cause the ultimate fighter, the only reason they did that was cause they were trying to follow this, um, you know, the reality TV show format is the only reason that they did that. And it that. worked at the time. Yeah. But I know? mean, in reality, there's no practical yeah. 
reason to lock these guys in a house and do it like I agree. that. That's a yeah. goofy thing to do. At the time, you needed to. That's how you sold a yeah. reality show. But I think Dana White's Contender Series, I mean, shocker, he knows what he's doing. He's like the biggest promoter in the world. But I'm just saying, you look at, you know, the Jeff Neal win, the Kevin Holland, there's the Dana Jamal White Contender Hill. Series. Who we just Who's got finished talking about Jamal Hill. Yeah, Jamal Hill. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you just keep going down the list, but yeah, some real credibility there. It is the premier, I guess you'd call it triple A, or as you will to the UFC as you can get. Yeah, plus I like the the format. You know, it's 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 very different. You know, it's almost like a draft day, right? It's almost like you're sitting around and you're you 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 got to go out there and put on a performance now, and then you sit and you see at the end. Okay, after everything's done, all the fights, do I get drafted? Right, and um, you know, I think that makes it kind of exciting because you know, even if you win, doesn't mean that you get drafted, right? Um, uh. I only remember one season. I don't even remember which season it was, but there was one season of the ultimate fighter in which Dana White was so upset. He didn't give out a contract, but other than that, it doesn't matter what happens. Whoever wins the ultimate fighter gets a contract, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, Whereas with this, even if you win, there's no guarantee that you're going to, you know, get a contract. And um, I think Jeff Neal, think he called out somebody too. He may have called out somebody just called out Gilbert Burns recently. I don't remember if it was him or not, but I think Jeff Neal just, you know, called out somebody recently also. Um, you know, what's funny is I actually would have loved to, I know they got Chemaev and uh Nate Diaz book, but after seeing um Jeff Neal come off of this and that type of performance, that type of striking I would have loved to see them, uh, you know, hey, if you want to shake it up and you want to give um, Kamzada a tough fight, but something where, you know, hey, you really can promote it if he beats this guy. A guy coming off of that kind of victory over a guy like Luke, I think that would have been a really good fight. And I think that was the would have been the kind of fight that if Chemayev went one, you can say, hey, I think he's ready for a title shot. If he beats Burns and then a Jeff Neal after coming off of that kind of performance, you can be like, no, nah, I think he's ready for a title shot. I don't think – I don't care how impressive he looks against Nate Diaz. In my opinion, it doesn't warrant a title shot. I agree 100%. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, we before we wrap it up here, I do know that – uh. Something else happened this past weekend on Contender Series. Did you want to go ahead and touch on that? Yeah. So, Bo Nickel, who, for the record, Fatboy MMA, our official wrestling correspondent, Tyler. Yes. Had named Bo Nickel the go-to up-and-coming wrestler in MMA to watch. When he and was this still, was, I think, before his, he hadn't had his first amateur fight, right? I think he'd had like a couple amateur couple fights amateur in fight? uh, okay. uh, Jorge Masvidal's promotion. Okay. Had like I know he hadn't turned pro yet, though. I know he yeah. hadn't had a pro fight. And, yeah, he's dominated his first couple wins, but the downside of the Dana White Contender Series, like, I get that you say you kind of like the format, like... Yeah, what's the format where King Dana just sits there and decides what he wants to do just because yeah, he old don't... school, like, when you either thumbs up or thumbs down and thumbs down is off with their head. King style. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dana White decide So, Bo Nickel wins in the first round. Now he's 2-0. and Or, first minute, right? Yeah, it was... It was... Neither of those fights went longer than, a, a, I think, a minute and a half. Yeah. So he destroyed both these guys. Now, he's got the pedigree. He's got the record. He's got the camp. He's got everything. And Dana White says no. 
And then I don't know if you read any of the stuff he said afterwards. He's kind of like, oh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know nothing about it. I'm like, you mean to tell me you don't know who Bo Nickel is and up and coming? You have to be shitting me. There's no way any of that's true. Dana White 100% is trolling everybody by not giving him a contract. And I seen Ariel Hawani had called it like kayfabe, like compared it to some <laughs> pro wrestling type skits. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I really think that seems like some fuckery because there's no way, you know, like I said, Bo Nickel's got the size, the look, the all American wrestling pedigree, the record, the camp and everything comes the out. Confidence the... where you hear him talk. Yeah. First minute, first round win. And Dana stills. I don't know. Maybe one more. He doesn't seem ready yet. It is crazy. And and the guy he fought had a decent record. He mm-hmm. he had he was like seven and one or eight and one or something like that. So it's not like he went out there and beat a guy that doesn't know his way around the cage. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I am going to save my opinion on this because uh we are gonna try and get our resident correspondent on an episode. And I really want to get his deep dive on this one. And just on the performances period, we haven't had that conversation since um, Bo Nickel turned pro. I think the last conversation we had with Tyler was right before that first fight. So, um, you know, we're going to try and see if we can get our resident wrestling correspondent on the show and then have a deep dive into this. Um, Possibly even, you know, Maybe we can get him to take a look and tell us maybe something that happened with the foot movement or something that allowed him to land those shots and where that comes from in wrestling. You know, we can we can have him give us a real breakdown. <laughs> not not just us rambling and fanboying while we pick on Dana. <laughs> a real breakdown. <laughs> so, we got a correspondent. We might as well use it. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, that uh that that particular episode of Contender series, um, I think there were some good fights on that one, and that was a great example of you can win and still not get a contract. And I think there were two winners that didn't get contracts. It was uh Bo Nickel and I forget the young lady name. There was a, a young lady that did not get the contract, and then there were a couple people that did get contracts, but um but Bo Nickel did get invited to come back for another fight. Um, and if he wins that impressively and Dana still doesn't give him a contract, it'll probably be a riot of wrestlers at, you know, Dana White's house or something. So so yeah. I think when he goes and strangles this next guy in the first minute, he needs yes. to get up and go Russell Crowe and Gladiator <laughs> and look at Dana and say, are you not entertained? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Well, that was all I had. Anything else before we wrap it up? No, I think that's it. Okay. We're getting better at this. We was able to smash through a whole bunch of topics. We usually ramble about that one thing for the whole podcast. That's true. Good job. Well, thank DC. you, I'm everybody. I try to do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, as usual, you know, you can check out all our social medias and everything. Go over to links.fatboymma.com. You'll find all of our links there. Thank you for listening. Come again. That wraps up another Fatboy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at fatboymma55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. That's links dot fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.